Well, hello, everybody, and I'm really, really glad you're here. And I'll even say, like, kudos for being here, uh, for making an investment in your spiritual growth and your spiritual life. Uh, some of you are tuned in to a podcast, you're watching online, or uh, maybe you're at a physical location as we're regathering now. Um, and this message actually comes with a guarantee. Like, it was really good. You made a really good investment because this is a guaranteed one. Because the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus gives a guarantee. It comes from Jesus, which is pretty good. And it says, basically what he says is this, that if you, that it's great that you've heard this. He said, if you hear what I'm saying and put it into practice, you will be blessed because you did. So hang in. And if you listen to what he says and put it into practice, you and I, our relationships, all that will be blessed. A word that means happy, fulfilled, satisfied, all that. So today we are continuing our series, Love Like Jesus, because as Jesus people, as Jesus followers, that's really from what he said, that's what it means. Like, that's how we roll. He said, this is the way people will know that you're my disciples. Like, this is the brand. This is what you should do is love like I love. And that's a very different way to love. And it can be even a little intimidating because that's a pretty high bar going all the way to Jesus, to love like Jesus. And so each week we're looking and saying, well, what does that really mean? Like, how could I really do that? And as we're going to see today, again, this is something that you and I can do. And if we do it, if we relate this way in our relationships, every relationship will get significantly better. And we will be, as Jesus said, more blessed. Um, So today we're talking about outserving each other. We're talking about serving like Jesus served, relating like Jesus related, not to fixate so much on how well we are served, but how well we serve. Now, all of us like to be well served. I mean, that's always a nice thing uh, when that happens, like even at restaurants or whatever. As you know, I like Chick-fil-A. If you've ever seen Chase Oaks more, if you've seen more than one sermon, you know that already. Um, I go there a lot. Uh, I bet. I don't know, 100 times a year or something like that. And it means that uh, I'm one of their, there's probably a statue or poster of me somewhere in their headquarters. But I've never had bad service there. Like, in fact, uh, this week, or uh, I was going through the drive-thru, and I got my order, and they gave me, they handed it over, and it was a large Diet Coke. Now, I probably, by mistake, ordered a large Diet Coke, but... I don't drink Diet Coke so much anymore because I became a Jesus. I, mean, I became a Christian. I met Jesus and he took away the desire. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, that's not true. You're right. Um, no, my, I met my wife, Christy, years ago, and she doesn't like me drinking NutraSweet. And uh, so uh, Splenda, I guess, a little better. So I'd get Diet Lemonade, so, which is more expensive on their menu. So I just said, look, I, I probably ordered Diet Coke by mistake, but I can't drink that. I need a, a large Diet Lemonade. I know it's more, whatever you got to do. And said, oh, that's no problem. They handed it to me. I said, thank you. And what did they say? My pleasure. My pleasure. Right. That's the Chick-fil-A thing. My pleasure. And I drive away thinking, what great people. I mean, Chick-fil-A, you know, where else do you operate? Whatever you whatever you say, whatever, like my pleasure, like it's like the best thing they ever did. They highlighted their life to serve that way. And that's the culture they've created, kind of a my pleasure culture. And it's really what Jesus calls us to be is in relationships. 
is my pleasure people not to fixate on how well I am served, but how well I serve. But that's not natural because naturally all of us in our sin nature, selfish nature, we kind of have this meter in us somewhere, this scorecard in us somewhere where we kind of know in a, especially a key relationship, how much we do versus how much they do, like how much we do for them versus how much they do for us. And I, I'm sure that everybody listening to me right now at some point in some relationship, you've had that thought of, I do so much for them and they don't do anything for me, you know, or like if you're married, I know you've thought that at some point you're like, I do, you know, I do so much. I do this and we have this scorecard, right? And we, in our scorecard, we're really good at keeping score in our heads. I mean, we don't even have to think about it just in there, keeping score about what all we do. Like, man, we just feel that, but what that other Schmo on the other side of the relationship, they don't do nearly as much as I do, right? That's whether you're married or a dating relationship or a friendship or whatever. uh, We just kind of have that. But here's the ironic thing is if you ask the other person in the relationship, your husband or your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friend who serves more, who does more, you know what they'd say? They would say they do. I do all this, right? Because we're really good at keeping score. And of what we do, uh, and we sort of take for granted what other people do in relationships. And when that gets out of whack, then we get out of whack and we think the relationship's not working. But what Jesus is going to challenge us to do today is to relate completely differently than that, to really change the way we keep score, to change what we fixate on, to actually play a whole different game where we try to outserve each other, where we try to outserve each other in every relationship that we have. And what Jesus is going to tell us is we'll be much more blessed if we do. The blessing comes not from receiving, but giving, not from being served, but serving. What we're going to see today is that you gain by giving, you win by losing, you advance by decreasing. That you step up when you step down in a relationship and serve. We're going to see a really dramatic example of that. And then we're going to apply that. And, And if we do this, even this week, it's going to be a crazy, blessed, crazy, good Week, if we relate like Jesus did this way. Now, the story that we're going to look at is a very dramatic one at a very dramatic moment in Jesus's life. You recognize this picture? Yeah, Peter took a little snapshot. That was really great. Um, that was, you know, obviously Da Vinci painted it, the Last Supper, and you see all the gang there, and Jesus and the disciples. And, and the reason they call it the Last Supper is because, and this is why it's so dramatic, this is the last time that Jesus is spending with his 12 disciples before he's going to later that evening going to be arrested and the next day crucified. So this is a big, rich moment. John 13, 14, 15, read it this week. And we're going to start at the very, very beginning of that. That's where our story starts. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, he was there at the meal. Now, I don't know if you feel the drama, but if you read through it again, you will. I mean, some of you are going to have really pretty dramatic Thanksgiving. You've had some family things. You're like, wow, that was drama. Well, this was a whole different kind of drama, and it's about to get more dramatic with what happens next. Jesus knew that the father, which is God. So Jesus is God. was what the Bible teaches that Jesus is God, the son. 
God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus, the Son of God, knew that God the Father had put all things under his power and he had come from God and was returning to God. So I'm going to stop there because it's a crazy so. Sometimes when you read a Bible verse like that, there sometimes the most insignificant word on the surface or even the shortest word in this case is actually maybe the key word of the whole thing, because the word so what comes next is so unexpected. It's kind of like a lot of times in, in verses in the Bible, uh, but is a word like that. B-U-T. I've, I've promised before. I'll do it sometime uh, the, you know, to do like a series on the big butts of the Bible because there's some really incredible butts in the Bible. Or I like big butts and I can't lie or something like that. Or I don't know what to call it, but or maybe not. Um, but if I did a big so, you know, this would be one of the big so's of the Bible. Because it's saying that, look, Jesus is God who came here. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus is God who came here, took on humanity. He existed before he was born as a baby. We celebrate at Christmas. He's God. He took on humanity to come on this rescue mission we talked about last week to be with us. He came in a very understated way. Nobody could look at him and say, oh, that's God. But he's about to go. He knows he's about to go back to heaven where he's going to be honored as God. So he's at the very top of the pyramid of the universe. He's God on the throne. Like he's about to return to all that. So the top of the pyramid, he's going to do something because of this, because he's God at the very top of the pyramid. So he's going to do something. And what comes next is the most unexpected thing that you would think the top of the pyramid, the God of the universe would do. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returned to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I'm going to stop there for just a second because. That was a shocker. We know it was a shocker from the disciples because there was like they were like, you know, what are you doing? Um, I mean, you can't do this. I mean, they just said, no, you can't do this. And he waves them off because it was so unexpected, which takes me back to that little word. So because you would think this was the most menial thing in that culture that you could do to wash somebody's feet. We'll talk about why that was such a big deal in a second. But you would expect the word to be. You know, since he's God, he's returning to the throne of heaven and all that. Despite that, he kneels down and begins to wash their feet. But it doesn't say despite that. It says because of that. Because he's God, he knelt down and washed their feet. Now, that's important because it tells you something really significant about God and about his character and what it means to be godly. In that culture... Nobody ever wanted to wash feet. And I don't think you do either. Like, you know, I love Chase Oakers and I love you. And even if I don't know you, I pray for you. But if, if I say, hey, I'll do anything for you, I, you know, whatever you want. And if you came up and said, well, why don't you give me a foot massage? I'd be like anything but that. Like, is there something else? Right. I mean, just but, but in that culture, it was a whole different deal because in, in their culture, they walked around all day in, in, on dirty streets with these open toed sandals. And they didn't have indoor plumbing like we do. And so in a city, they were in Jerusalem at the time in a city like that. 
essentially whatever you dumped out of your body during the day would eventually be dumped out on the street at some point. So when people were walking around with these sandals, they were walking around on muddy streets and it wasn't just mud. It was nasty. It was sewagey, yucky, cruddy, like really dirty stuff. So when when you were in that culture and you went into somebody's home, rather than just wear your 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 shoes and your dirty feet and all that throughout their house, uh, there would be usually a servant. It was like the most menial thing even a servant could do would be there to take off your shoes and wash your feet. And that was a really big deal in that culture. Well, in this in the Last Supper, there's no servant. You got Jesus and the 12 disciples and nobody is going to wash anybody else's feet because the disciples are all peers to each other. And so they just sit down and Jesus takes the opportunity, even though he's at the top of the pyramid, to take off his outer cloak, put on a towel and begin washing their feet. And as I said, they freak out. They're like, no, you can't do that. He waves them away. And then he gives the lesson. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Teacher and Lord, rabbi, was a big deal in that culture. They were disciples of a rabbi. And it was an honor to be chosen to be disciples of a rabbi. People in that culture had credible respect for rabbi or the word teacher. But he's way beyond that because he's also the Lord. Like they know that means he's not just a really powerful person. He he is God in human form. So he says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. That's what you should call me because that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, here's the guarantee. Remember that? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is teaching something, uh, teaching us something about life and leadership. And he's saying, look. If you're going to if you want to be blessed and Jesus came, he told us that he came for us to have a better life, a blessed life, a happy life, a joyful life. That's what God wants for you. But it means relating and living very differently. And here he's saying, if you want to live a blessed life, a joyful, happy life, you're not going to get there by being served. You're going to get there by serving. As Jesus said, the son, another place, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It really means in relationships, you know, when I talk about the scorecard before the way we keep score, here's all the stuff I do for you and you don't do much for me. It's the other way around. It's saying, you know what? I don't care what you do for me. It's all I'm worried about is not how well I am served, but how well I serve. The game is, you know what? We're going to out. I'm going to outserve you. In a relationship. Uh, I'm going to outserve you in a marriage. I'm going to outserve you at church. I'm going to outserve you in my family. I'm going to outserve you at school. I'm going to it's a totally different way to live. It's a totally different way to keep score. It's a whole different game. As we said earlier, you gain. This is the Jesus ethic. You gain by giving. As Jesus said, another place, it's more blessed to give than uh, than to receive. We think, "Ooh, I'm rich. I won the lottery. Jesus say that's never going to lead to blessing. 
unless you learn to give. You win by losing, meaning you want to lose. Okay, so you get your preference, you get your way. Awesome. I win if I give up mine. You advance by decreasing. Again, just a totally different game. Let me illustrate that a little bit, the different game part. Uh, Because I think about this every time I think about the, the game of serving that Jesus calls us to play. Uh, this was in Ethiopia. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we uh, had this major partnership in Ethiopia that is now ongoing, self-sustaining, uh, without us having to support it anymore, although we still keep in touch and, and help if we need to. But they're, you know, they're going through a tough time right now in that country, by the way. Pray for them. Um, but our partners there are amazing. Uh, and so one night, this was, I don't know, second or third trip, so a lot of years ago, uh, we you know, you're not going to sit around and watch TV or whatever. So we were um, playing cards and teaching them card games. And, and one of the games we taught them was the game Spoons. Have you ever played Spoons? You know, where you have, you know, if you have five people around the circle, you have one less spoon than the number of people. So you'd have four spoons. And then uh, if I remember right, it's a really fast game because you're passing these decks of cards around. Everybody's trying to get rid of all their cards by matching them up. And when you match all of them up, then you just grab a spoon real quick and everybody's so busy doing, trying to match their own things. They may not even notice that somebody grabbed a spoon. And, but if you do, you grab a spoon too. And then the last person who notices they're out of the game because they don't have a spoon. There's not one for them. And you take away a spoon and you do that until there's only like one person who wins. So that's the game. So we explain that, go through it a couple of times with our Ethiopian friends. Worku is sitting right next to me. And he's, they are terrible at spoons. Like if there was an Olympics, Ethiopia would lose every time. At least the ones we knew. Um, and they're Jesus followers. But they would not play the game right. They ruined the game. Because what they would do is when, if they got all paired up, instead of grabbing a spoon, they would say, oh, everybody grab a spoon. Because they didn't want to grab it. They want everybody else to have it. And so they and we'd say, no, that's not the game. And or another time we you know we tried again and somebody they noticed that somebody else had, you know, grabbed a spoon and work taps me on the shoulder and he says, oh, you need to grab a spoon. And I was like, no, you grab a spoon. You're not supposed to tell me to grab a spoon. You're supposed to grab it and take it. Come on. Act like an American. No, you know, you can do this. But they just couldn't do it. So we had to stop playing like we just ruined it. Like they would not play the game. Because they were playing a different game. Concerned about us, not concerned about them. We couldn't even get them there. We couldn't even get them to play differently. And and, and that's really the way Jesus is saying for us to relate. If we're going to love like Jesus, it means to be other focused, to, to give up our preferences, to give up our resources, to give up our comfort for the sake of others, to look for every way we can serve in relationships. Now, think about that a little bit. Imagine what that would look like. Let's say in a church where everybody is focused not on being served, but on serving. Like where people would never say something like, you know what? I don't know that my needs are getting met here. Because a servant would never think that way. That's the way a consumer thinks. But a servant, a contributor just thinks, man, how can I serve? In, in Chase Oaks, I got to say, you know, the, of any church I've ever been around or whatever, we're not perfect. We have a long way to go on this serving thing, but it's filled with a lot of people who serve. 
And I don't typically hear, you know, this church isn't just meeting my needs. I've been in other churches where that's a conversation all the time, and it just wears me out as a pastor. That's not a conversation I have at Chase Oaks because there's a whole lot of people who get the, the, most, the most blessed experience I can have at Chase Oaks is when I serve. And therefore, when people see, oh, man, I, so if I need to watch babies, if I need to, uh, you know, greet adores, if I need to, you know, whatever, I, I'm in because I want to serve. I want to give. I want to be part of it. And those are the people, Jesus said, who are blessed. Uh, imagine a, a marriage that operated that way. Where both partners in the marriage are not really focused on their needs, but on the needs of each other. And are really trying to outserve each other. Where, you know, you don't even think about, you know, they just, they don't even, they don't even know what my needs are. They're so insensitive. They don't, and they just do this and this and this. And where you just, and when you have that thought, you just think, you know what? That's not my preoccupation. Jesus will meet my needs. I'm going to meet her need. I'm going to meet his need. And I'm going to have my eyes open, not just for how are they meeting my needs. I'm going to have my eyes open for, and what, how can I encourage them? How could I help them? What do they need from me? How could, you know, that's a, to, that's a very different way to do marriage. And if both people are doing that, guess what? Everybody's needs get met. You're just not focused on your own needs. Imagine a family that operated that way. Imagine a friendship that operated that way. Imagine a small group that operated that way. It's a, it's a really, really different way to relate. And imagine if, uh, if you and I leave not just our internal relationships, our own friendships and stuff as Jesus people, imagine if we take that with us to work, to school, into our friendships outside the faith, into our into our neighborhoods, because we are living. And I mean, we just have a very self-focused culture, especially now, because we feel so uncertain and insecure and people sort of are very attuned to their own needs. And so it's a huge opportunity for Jesus people to love like Jesus in a way that would make people be like, why are you doing this? Like imagine if you went to, if you're a student, if you went to school, if you're going two days a week or whatever you're doing, and, it's, and, and you see people who, who have a hard time fitting in. And instead of just thinking, well, I'm glad I'm not a weirdo, you just serve to include and pull them in and help them relate. Imagine being a student where somebody's struggling, and there's a lot of people struggling right now with school, with online school, and you'd be like, hey, man, I, I'd, I'd love to help. Um, imagine at work, you know, where, where you're, fi- where you're fixated, your eyes are open. And you're just thinking, man, how can I help somebody else advance in their career? How can I help somebody else with their project, whether I get credit for it or not? How can I help somebody else in life just to be there for them and listen to them if that's what they need? If I can tell they're down just to ask the question, Hey, you know, I'd love to know how I can be helpful and, and just be ready to do whatever it takes. To, to meet that need. Imagine living in a neighborhood where you just pray every day, God, and you have your eyes open. God, help me to know what the needs of my neighbors are and how I can encourage them, how I can help them. And you just do that. And if you do that, you'll eventually get the best question or one of the best questions you can ever get from people. And that is, why, why are you doing this? Like, I appreciate it, but why are you doing this for me? Which is the best opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And to say, because Jesus is changing my life. I have a relationship. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christian. And, and that's just how we roll. Like he gave everything for us and we give everything for him, which means we do that by doing whatever we can for people in this world. And, and, uh, and, you know, it's the biggest privilege of my life to be able to do things like this. My pleasure. 
Thank you for the opportunity. So this week, I'm going to encourage us to live that way. To just say, God, help me play a different game. In some ways, it's like, God, help me lose. But know that I'm actually winning when I lose my preference, when I lose my comfort, when I don't get my way and all that. Help me just play a different game. To take, make, take the scorecard and, uh, and, and just flip it and keep score in a whole different way. And I believe Jesus will help us do that. I believe God will always help us to do that. And if, and if we do this, I promise you, you'll be blessed if you do it. And I can promise you that because Jesus promised you that. Which means if you really do this at school, at work, in your marriage, in your friendships, and dating relationships, whatever, it'll be the most blessed, most fun, happiest week you've had maybe ever. Because that's how we get there. Now, we're going to pray for God to help us, but I also want to go back to the passage a little bit. Because I want you to understand what Jesus did for you. Because that's part of the passage. And if you want, to, if you want a connection with God, it's really, it comes by, by really receiving. Sometimes it's hard to be served. And, it, and it's really about receiving what Jesus has done for you. So when, when Jesus started washing their feet, Peter speaks up for the disciples. He was one of the disciples. He's the most outspoken one. And he said, no, God, forbid it. You cannot do this. And you can't wash my feet. No, no, no. You know, you're God. You can't do that. And Jesus says, Peter, if you don't let me do this, you can have no part of me. If you don't receive my service, you, have no, you can have no part of me. No relationship with me. And so Peter just said, well, then wash all of me. Which was kind of silly. But he didn't really get it yet. And he would soon get it because Jesus would go to the cross the next day. When he said, you will have no part of me if you don't let me serve you, it's, it's Jesus served us by giving his life. As he said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came on a rescue mission. He gave his life on the cross to take the penalty for sin uh, for you and me so that we could be forgiven. And therefore, a relationship with God is not about you and me saying, oh, no, God, I can do it myself. I can be good enough for you. I just have to try. I just have to do better. It's realizing, no, God, I can't. I can never be good enough to make up for my sin. And I say yes to your, what you've done on the cross. It's not about what we do. It's about what he has already done and accepting his work on our behalf. And then, like Peter said, he really will wash all of us. He will wash us clean from sin. And I want to have, give you an opportunity to say yes to God and say, you know, I, that's what I want. God, I, I want you in my life. I want you to make me clean. I want you to begin to transform my life. I, I say yes to you. I'll let you do all of it. I'll give up trying to be good enough for you. I, I'm in. And then what you're in for is to love like Jesus. And we're also going to say, okay, that didn't help me to serve that way. Let's Bow our heads in prayer. And let me encourage you, wherever you are, you can say yes to Jesus. Say, God, I, I can't believe you did all that for me and you asked nothing in return, but that's you. And so, God, would you cleanse me of my sin? Because you gave everything to make that possible. And would you begin to, to make me clean over time? God, you know how broken I am. And you love me anyway, and you want to heal me and make me whole. You want to transform my life and, and then use me as a servant in this world, and I'm in on all of it. And that's what it means to begin a relationship with God.
And for all of us, I just invite you to ask God right now. This is a bold thing, but just say, God, this week, help me begin to play a different game. In every one of my relationships, at church, in my marriage, in my family, with my parents, at school, at work, in my neighborhood, and even this week, just open my eyes to see ways that I can serve. Help me, help me try to outserve everybody in my life. And it's going to cost me something. And it's going to sometimes be really, really hard to do. But I pray that you would fill me with your grace so that I can do it. And on the other side of it, be blessed. Thank you for showing us a better way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we've got more worship to come, and you don't want to miss that because it's going to be about to be pretty awesome. But we also have another worship step that I, I want to give us an opportunity as a church to do. Um, many of us have been praying this week, and, and this is an opportunity to kind of commit that to God. And, and for some of you um, to together make a pledge to something that, that we to our Here for Good project. If you don't know what that is, you need to go back and watch last week's service, which was about this step that God has in front of our church. And, and the way that works, when I say in front of our church, it's just you and me if you're part of our church. We'll go as far as a church in what God has put in front of us as you and I go individually. That's just the way it works. And it means all of us with the opportunity to say, God, okay, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It, you know, you've given me what you've given me. It's yours. And so, God, would you just help me know what to give? And people who do that are the people who will be blessed. And you can blow it off, and that's fine. I'll love you. I don't, it's great. But for those who want to participate, you'll see it as an opportunity to take a step of sacrifice, to take a step of faith that God meets us in and grows our faith, and, uh, and really an act of worship. And so a number of us, uh, a lot of us, hundreds of us this week have been making pledges. And uh, I think uh, there was, you can see the thing underneath me that says, you know, if you want to do that, you could do that right now. And because we're going to pray and commit that. And, and by doing it right now, we're kind of doing it together, too. And so you text HFG to that 58578, which sounds like an infomercial text. You know, we'll send you a Ginzu knife, whatever. I'm sorry. I don't know how else to do it in this you know, thing where most people are online. It's just a technology way to make our pledge. Um, and, uh, and if you're up for it, great. And, uh, and you can that what will happen when you text that is you'll get a pledge card. And, uh, and you can fill that out. And uh, because it's an act of worship, though, I, w- I want us to commit it to God. And, uh, and then we're going to hear, we're going to sing a worship song together. But let's pray together again. Father, I thank you for always moving and being at work in our church. That we're your people, your hands and feet in this planet. And, and, and I just, I thank you. I get to be part of a church that's not going to just try to survive a pandemic. But to say, no, we want to follow Jesus, to live more fully and to reach people and to love people in ways that are unprecedented in a time like this. And I thank you for what you put in front of us, what you've entrusted us with. And since everything we have is yours, this is an act of worship for all of us who participate. God, would you give us wisdom to know how to participate, what you want us to do And as we make that pledge, God, would you receive it as an act of worship?
as a step of faith. And Father, we thank you that you gave everything for us and you give us the opportunity to then give in return. In Jesus' name, amen.